You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and I'm being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob was with us last week. Bob, thank you for joining us again this week. Absolutely, Dwayne. Happy to be here. We're looking at session nine. We're looking at chapter seven, one through 15 of Second Kings. The key idea here is that God provides. Just a little bit of background. Ben-Hadad, who's the king of the Arameans, has seized Samaria. The king of Israel, we're not told who that is, but most likely it's Jehoram. He blames Elisha. And so he sends soldiers to bring him in to hold him accountable for what's happening. It's an ugly scene, by the way, in Samaria at this point. The city's been cut off from everything. There's cannibalism going on inside the, the city just to survive. Um, it, it's, it's just an ugly, ugly scene. And Elisha's been brought in, and we pick up the story there in 2 Kings chapter 7. We've got four points, doubts, desperate, announced, and skeptics. Doubts, is verse, we find that in verses 1 through and 2. In these verses, Elisha proclaimed that Samaria would have an abundance of food at low prices on the following day. One of the king's officers expressed his doubts, and Elisha promised that the captain would see the abundance but would not enjoy it. The main point here is that doubts in God lead to missed opportunities. The second point, desperate, comes from verses 3 through 8 of chapter 7. In these verses, we find four men with a skin disease, reasoning that they had nothing to lose by surrendering to the Arameans. At twilight, they make their way to the camp, only to discover that no one was in the camp. God had caused the army to believe that a larger army was on them, so they fled for their lives. The four men enjoyed the food and items left behind. The main point for us is that God provides in unexpected ways. Verses 9 through 11, we've entitled Announced. Here we see the four men realizing that it was not right for them to hoard the food and items found in the camp. They returned to Samaria and reported their findings to the gatekeeper, who in turn reported the news to the king's household. For us, we can understand that believers have a responsibility to share with others about God's grace. The last section, verses 12 through 15, we've entitled Skeptics. The king suspected the news to be a trick, but a servant encouraged the king to send messengers to investigate. The messengers discovered that the Aramean army had fled, leaving a trail of clothes and equipment. Their findings were reported to the king. The point for us is that people must be given an opportunity to investigate God's grace. Well, let's start with looking at Elisha's prophecy. It's pretty specific about the timing and about what's going to happen. Uh, how do those specifics validate God's work in this situation? Yeah, I, you know, I have, a, I have a journalism background. And so uh, one of the first things that they teach you when you go into journalism school is something called the five W's. And it's five questions that you need to answer as a reporter, the who, what, where, when, and why. And a lot of times they'll add the, the word how, the question how, even though it doesn't start with a W. 
but uh, <laughs> the, the idea is that um, you know, as a reporter, either in print or on, on TV or whatever, you need to get those five, five or six questions answered quickly, early on, first paragraph, first couple of minutes, first couple of sentences of the of the interview, uh, because if you don't, you can't really validate why you're even covering this. Uh, you, you don't have any substance. You're not explaining what's, what makes it so important. And so when I look at Elisha's prophecy, what, what sticks out to me is that he covers all that ground. Uh, he tells you who. Uh, it was the residents of Samaria that were going to benefit from this. He tells you what. It's going to be an incredible reversal of fortune. They're going to go from, as you said, uh, cannibalism and, and famine to, to abundance that they couldn't believe. Uh, he talks about where it's going to happen at the city gate. Uh, he, he talks about when, tomorrow, about this time. That's really specific. Uh, 24 hours from now, things are going to be a whole lot different than they are right now. And he talks about why. You know, it's God's grace and it's his mercy that he's going to show. And he even touches a little bit on, on the how, uh, the fact that God is going to be the one that does all this. He's going to be the one that's in charge and making all this stuff happen. And so uh, it validated Elisha as a prophet and it validated Jehovah as a God who can meet people's needs and can 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 turn things around and and bring something incredible out of something unexpected. We see in the story uh, some people who are skeptical of, of this. We see the, the captain of the army, and we see the king himself. Uh, they don't really want to believe what's going to happen here. Or they raise all kinds of questions for different motives, different reasons question that we have to come to grips with here is when should we and when should we not be skeptical of something? Yeah, uh, the word skeptic comes from a Greek word, skepsis, and it was applied pretty broadly to a group of philosophers who, whose basic methodology was to ask questions about things, uh, and they never took anything at face value. Even some things that would, would apparently be obvious to us, they refused just to believe them out of hand. And so they constantly ask these questions. And so when you look at it from that perspective, that's not a bad way to approach things sometimes. Uh, we live in a culture where all kinds of things are thrown up at us. All kinds of ideas are, are, are given to us, all kinds of options for how we ought to live our lives and who we ought to believe and what we ought to do. Now, we have this menu, uh, the smorgasbord of, of possibilities. And so it, it makes sense for us to, to ask questions and to think through that. Um, and, and it's biblical as well, because I, I think about the prophet Isaiah, who, you know, God spoke through him and said, hey, come, let's reason together. The CSB says, hey, let's come settle this matter in our minds and our hearts. Uh, it, it, the Bible talks about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, experiencing. Uh, there are times when God says, hey, put me to the test in a good kind of way, not a negative way, but, but just see if I'm you know, it, trust me and see if I don't come through the way the way I promised to come through. And so when you look at all these kind of passages, you realize that God's sort of giving you permission to be a skeptic, to ask questions. And, and in spite of what a lot of people think, uh, the Christianity is not some faith system where you just come and check your brain at the door and, uh, you know, you just take in whatever you're told and, and believe it with whatever. God says, no, think through this. Uh, and, and see if it doesn't make sense to you. See, see, if, see if my promises aren't real. And so we're allowed to be a skeptic. Now, the problem becomes when we move from being a skeptic to being a cynic, and that was where the, the right-hand man, the captain 
uh, of the guard, that was his problem. Um, he, when he said, um, is this possible? If, if, if God would open up the windows of heaven, could, could he actually do this? He wasn't asking uh, a question uh, that in a, in a healthy kind of way. He was basically doubting God. He was he was insulting God. He was he was being he was scoffing at God and saying, "There's no way God can do this." There's Elisha, you're you're off your rocker. There's no way that this could ever happen. And so he 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 just he discounted it out of hand and said, "There's no way this is possible." And so that by doing that, he crossed the line from being a skeptic to being a cynic, and that's a dangerous dangerous place to be. It's really thin ice uh, when it comes to that uh, that kind of thing. The men here who were involved in the discovery of the camp, the four men with skin disease, they had this shared disease. It starts out at the beginning as a negative, but it becomes a positive throughout the story. How does that impact the flow of the story? And are there other places in scripture where something that's a negative becomes a positive once God gets involved in it? Absolutely. And, and you're absolutely you're, you're right when you say that this was a negative, because we talked about this last week with Naaman, that leprosy was not something you wanted to mess with. Leprosy was a dreaded disease. It was not something you ever wanted to deal with. And so, you know, the fact that these guys uh, were were the sort of the heroes of the story <laughs> is another uh, another aspect of of how God does the unexpected sometimes. But it really benefited everyone involved because because of their disease they were isolated they were already outside the city walls if they'd been in the city they never would have gotten out they never would have been able to turn themselves into the syrians they never would have been able to discover all the stuff that they found and so you know it, geographically it put them in the right place physically <laughs> they were they were exactly where they needed to be if they if they weren't there this miracle uh would have have gone in a different direction. It also put them in the right space as far as emotions and even spiritually to an extent, because as you said, they they didn't feel like they had a lot to lose. Um, they they figured if they were going to be if they're going to stay outside the walls, they were going to starve to death. If they went in the city somehow and got in there, they'd starve to death. If they went to the if they went to the Aramean camp, they might get killed, but it'll be a quicker death than starving to death. So that's a, even that is a weird kind of perverse plus for them. But it was really their only hope for survival was to go and do that. So because of who they were and because of what they were dealing with, they were in a position that they would take a chance. Uh, they, were, they, they felt more comfortable taking a risk. And the other thing that, that their disease actually did for them was it gave them a sense of community. These were guys who, who, had, who had basically been exiled. They'd been isolated. They'd, they'd been separated from everything that was normal to them, everything. Thing that uh, that they felt familiar with their families and their their routines and their jobs and all that stuff they couldn't partake in any of that stuff anymore and so they basically had each other um, they had each other's backs they were a community and so that gave them a sense of encouragement that gave them a sense of accountability that they weren't in, a, in it alone but um, you know it, it's just I love the fact and we see this time and time again in first and second kings how God takes the least of these when he takes these people that you really don't expect to amount to much and uh, he uses them to glorify himself in a special way uh you know we we, we kind of talked about the, the cynics a minute ago or the, or the 
the skeptics a minute ago. You know, the, in addition to the right-hand man, the king was sort of a skeptic. He was, he, was, he was inching his way towards cynicism. And it was an unnamed servant who said, hey, no, let's, let's, let's stop and take a breath and move away from the ledge and let's, let's investigate this a little more closely. And you know, just like the, the servant girl in, with Naaman's story, just like the unidentified servant in Naaman's army, it's these unknowns, these anonymous people who God time and time again uses to, to point people in the right direction. And, and he uses them to provide the things that he wants to provide. And it, it's, it's encouraging. We don't know the names of these four men who basically saved the city. Absolutely. Um, so I find comfort in knowing that God uses the unnamed. Uh, that They play a bigger role uh, than we, we want to admit sometimes. And they're, they're much more critical in this story, which means the rest of us, we have a, we have hope for us to make a difference in this world. What it means. We're, we're never anonymous to God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he will use us if we are willing, he will use us no matter what. Well, one of the temptations with this story is for us to jump to application too quickly. We just skim over the story and jump right to how this applies or we may even be tempted to treat this story as a parable or allegory um, for today's believers. What can we do to avoid treating this story as simply a parable and not a true event that took place in history? It's important to remember that this is a literal event. It's not, uh, these were real people. This was a real situation that happened in the 8th century uh, B.C., uh, and we don't want to say or do anything that that suggests otherwise. Uh, if we do that, then we're we're taking a step in the wrong direction. We're diminishing um, the authority of Scripture in one hand, but also we're 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 hindering getting an accurate an accurate understanding of what God is trying to share with us. Um, yeah, it's and and I think the best way it, I think it's also worth mentioning that. Um, Part, part of the reason we want to jump to the application is because the story itself is so weird to us. It, it, it's so not 21st century. We don't, we don't have lepers outside the walls. We don't have cannibalism. We don't, we don't have, uh, you know, donkey's head and doves dung and all the stuff that they were buying to eat at, at that time. We don't have any of that. And so it, it, we we just naturally say, okay, let's get past all that weird stuff and let's just talk about how great God is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's understandable, but you can't do that. You can't move that quickly. You have to understand what's going on in the text. You have to understand what's going on in the in the context of both the eighth century and the context of the original readers a few hundred years later. Um, the thing about this about scripture is that everything that happens in scripture happened in a different time zone with a different people, a different era. And so you have to build a bridge from where they were to where we are now. And the way you do that is by going point by point through the text and seeing what these people saw and experiencing what these people experienced and, and, and understanding that. And then once you sort through that, you can say, okay, well, what was God trying to say to them? What was God trying to teach them? And then you use that to build the bridge and say, okay, well, this is what God says to us. You find this timeless truth, this uh, this universal principle. And in this case, it, it kind of boils down to the fact that God still provides. 
I mean, God still meets people's needs. Uh, that was true for them. It's true for us. But you don't get there unless you actually dig into the, the to the narrative itself and and not skim over it. And one idea that's in the leader guide, it's in the options section, uh, in the it's on the last page of the session, is a is entitled creative writing. And the idea is for us to take our groups and create teams of two or to four, depending on the size of our team, our group, excuse me, and then provide each team with paper and markers. And then we encourage the teams to imagine they are reporters. This is your journalism idea, Bob, uh, and that they're covering this passage for the local media. Then we are to direct the teams to write a headline that reflects all or some part of the events in the story. And then they share that headline and they write a two or three sentence description of what happened. Now, uh, you know, one approach would be to assign, if you've got four teams, assign each one, one of the four sections, have them read that Bible passage as a team, look at the comments in the daily discipleship guide or the personal study guide, and then write the, the, the headline just for that one section that they've been assigned and then them report back to the class and you work through it that way. Another way would be to assign everybody this. And as you work through the study, each team creates their own headlines. They compare headlines and you just work through with them doing that headline work. And that be a way to help help us stay on track and not uh, in a void in some ways that jumping to application too quickly or treating it as allegory or parable and forgetting the historical uh, event that took, pl took place here and the lesson from that event for the people who were uh, present at that time. So that's one idea that I find very helpful that may be able to help us overcome that temptation. Bob, are there other key thoughts or ideas you would share from this particular passage? Now, I just take a lot of encouragement, uh, in, and we, we mentioned this earlier about the fact that God uses some of the people that you don't necessarily expect to be used, uh, but the fact that he's still in the provision business, he's still in, he's still all about uh, meeting our needs and, and being there for us and having our backs, and uh, I think that was something that, that would encourage uh, the, the folks in the 8th century. I think it was something that would encourage the original readers coming out of Babylon. And I, I think it's something that can still encourage us today. And I, and I hope that's something that, that teachers and leaders and students can, can really latch on to, uh, that, that God loves them and cares for them and, and is there for them. Bob, thank you for being with us today and for that reminder. Uh, from time to time in this podcast, we mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family. The Leader Pack, Adult Commentary, Quick Source. Today, we mentioned the Leader Guide. There are other things that, that we haven't mentioned. Uh, you can find out more about all the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. That's goexplorethebible.com. No spaces, just goexplorethebible.com. Thank you for listening to us this week. We'll hope you join us again next week. We'll be looking at session 10. Drew Dixon will be joining me, and we'll be looking at the idea that God honors people who demonstrate his priorities. Mm -hmm.